Mowage. Mowage is what brings us together today. For some of you, you may recognize that line from the best movie ever made, The Princess Bride, and the wedding scene that's there. Uh, but what you may not know is those were the first words that were spoken just like that nearly 14 years ago at my wife and I's wedding. I had no idea this was going to happen. Uh, my wife asked our friend who was officiating our wedding if he would start things off that way because she knew that that was my favorite movie, so I about lost it. I mean, he, he did the whole, he did every single line and stuff. It, it, was, it was amazing. Now, I will say, if the royal wedding, if I'd known that it was going to start like that, I may have actually gotten up to watch it. I know, I don't know how many of you did that. Well, Chip asked that. Only a couple of you did. I was looking up some statistics about that because uh, America, you know, we kind of have a, United States has a, a it's a complicated history with, with England, and yet we really like the royal weddings and stuff. The last one that happened, 23 million Americans watched the royal wedding. And I, I mean, I don't know. In fact, we actually had our own Velocity correspondent uh, at the wedding. As some of you know Hope Spoonhauer. She was actually there. She got on TV. She's on ABC and CNN. Is that right, Neil? Uh, so we tried to pull the video for that to show you guys. We weren't able to. But I, I think she said it was amazing. Three times? Yeah. Uh, so you can look at look that. Maybe we'll show it on our Facebook page or some, something like that. <clears throat> but for some reason, people like seeing the pomp and circumstances. I'm, I'm going to guess maybe it's because of the storybook fairy tale feel. Like, hey, this is the ideal scenario. It, you, nobody's, like, confirming or denying that's what it is. Okay, whatever. I, I don't know what it is that causes people to do that. But for some reason... Uh, we want some sort of idealistic, perfect scenario when it comes to a wedding. The reason I know that is because our national average as a country is that we... Anybody have a guess how much we spend on a nas, as a national average on weddings? Just over $33,000. Some of you might have spent close to that because first service, was, they were like, there's a little... <laughs> that was crazy. Some of you might have gotten a little too close to that for comfort, but that's the national average. I know we didn't... But we didn't come even close to that number, so I can't imagine what people are spending their money on. But this study goes on uh, to talk about how a lot of people are spending more money on their venue and on guest experiences. So the real deal is that they want to have this just impressive, memorable experience that they share with their friends. Attendance is a little bit down in, in weddings, so you invite less people, spend more money on them, so you have this just amazing amazing experience. And one of the things I've come to realize and understand as I've talked with people about their marriages and about their wedding is that I've officiated uh, plenty of weddings and been uh, through those conversations about people and their marriages that we end up as a culture spending a whole lot of time thinking about and planning and putting resources into the wedding more than we do the marriage which is why, as a society, it has become more and more ordinary for our marital problems to come to the surface more often than our marital bliss. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to not just end up with an ordinary marriage and therefore an ordinary family. Whether you're married right now, whether you're looking to be married at some point in the future, whether or not you just want to be able to help one of your friends, strengthen your marriage, this message is for you, and we're going to be looking at God's design for marriage, what it looks like, how it impacts us, and how it moves us from an ordinary approach to, being, to having an extraordinary approach, and how God's approach strengthens them. And that's the goal. 
is to have a stronger relationship with the person that we marry. Marriage is actually identified as the completion point of creation. If I were to ask some of you, what is the first crisis of man that's mentioned in the Bible? Many of you would say sin, but that's actually not true. There's one that's right before that, and that's God identifying that it was not good for man to be alone. And it's in that moment in the creation narrative that God says, okay, hold on, we got to time out, we got to fix this, and he creates woman to be an indispensable companion to man in that, in that moment. And Moses, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 24, as he's recounting this creation history, identifies what God is accomplishing through marriage. He says, for this reason, man needing this indispensable companion that God creates, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. What in the world is that? It sounds kind of weird, sounds a little bit creepy. Like, what does that actually mean? So you think about the marriage that you have, well, one flesh. Okay, well, well that means, that means you've got to combine your bank accounts, right? Some of y'all are chuckling nervously. <laughs> so that definitely, that's part of it, right? You've got to have the same bank account and shared resources, and that, that's part of it. Or maybe, uh, maybe, you had, uh, maybe one of you had a house, and one of you had the best washer and dryer, and so you got rid of you know, that person's washer and dryer and had the other person. So you combined furniture. One had the better bed. The other person had the better couch, and so you put that in there. Maybe some of you uh, are still carrying around his Little League trophies, from 35 years ago, they're, you know, participation medals, and that's it, and yet it still wants to hold on to those memories, and so it's combining all of your stuff, but that's something that you can do with a roommate, right? I mean, so that, maybe that's not exactly what God had in mind when he's talking about becoming one flesh. Maybe it's a little bit like this. Every other year, um, I'll go to a canoe trip with some college buddies of mine. I go on a three-day trip, and we typically go on the Roanoke River, and uh, this trip was, uh, like, like most others, we were going down a tributary, basically a, a large creek, to actually get to the Roanoke River. And we'd pass guys who were out there on their nice John boats, uh, speed boats that are out fishing and that kind of thing. We'd chat with people as we're going along in our canoes. And we get to this one part where we're about to get, actually get onto Roanoke River proper, and this older gentleman in a boat says, hey, when you, when you keep going, make sure you don't cut it too close, because right there where the creek meets the river, you can't tell, but underneath the water, there's a vicious undertow. It's almost like a whirlpool that's right there. And I've seen boats your size tip over and get sunk in that spot. And we had three days worth of camping equipment in our canoes. We had platforms that we're staying on as we're going. So we weren't about to find that out. There are some scenarios in which, you know, might test that. Uh, being dumb guys, but we actually decided to take a wide berth a around that in this place that these two separate things became one, and marriage is a lot like that. <laughs> it's the joining together of two lives, and sometimes it all looks beautiful on the surface, but sometimes you're bringing some things in that are a little bit more turbulent than you realize maybe at the time. Apart, you know, they kind of meander along peacefully together. When they come together, they become stronger, <laughs> and there are more things to deal with. And sometimes there's some potential for problems. Sometimes there's also a potential for great joy in that joining together, but about 50% of us are dealing with some sort of marital issue, statistically speaking, as we come in this morning 
And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to build a marriage that will last and that will overcome the turbulence and allow us to run deeper, stronger, and farther than we ever would alone and why that is what God wants for our marriages. So there's two things that I've mentioned, but I, I just want to make sure that I set the stage properly for this. There are a lot of different opinions, there are a lot of different approaches to marriage and what that looks like and what that can be. Uh, this approach is set on the foundation with the presumption of God's creation and architecture of what marriage is and what it's supposed to be. All right? So there are a couple assumptions that we're making as we're talking about this topic. The Bible teaches that God created man and woman and that God created the relationship that is meant to put them together as one in the marriage relationship. The whole thing is his creation. It's his idea. He's the one that came up with it. And so we're going to look at what his ideas for what that's supposed to look like is supposed to be. We're looking at this from the perspective of the Bible. And here's, here's what that is. An ordinary marriage relies on the strength of two people. An extraordinary marriage relies on the strength of one. And it's important that you see that capital O in that word. Because as we're talking about having a not an ordinary family, we're basing this on the foundation of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. The Shema, where the Israelite nation focused on this one truth. Listen up, Israel. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. And we need to love him with everything, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is the thing that's going to set the stage for everything that we do in our lives. And our marriage is no different. Marriage is about taking two people and making them one. And we're not just talking about something physical. And we're not just talking about something emotional. But we're talking about a spiritual reality in the way that God designs us to be partners together. Um, Going back to our river analogy, at the beginning, the honeymoon period, like that, that, part, that part is fun, generally speaking. Although I, I think most of <laughs> I, I know, it's just one of those nuanced little, little things. You're like, what does he mean by that? And I'll have to go back and think that and ask Renee later. Uh, but, you know, to some degree, a lot of us who have, who have been married have a moment in their, in their minds where they can think of, okay, the, the honeymoon period is, is, is done at this point. And not, not that there was this horrible event or terrible circumstance that happened, but it was just kind of the, the settle into the relationship. The nature of the relationship uh, changes a little bit, and so the excitement of all those things kind of die down, and you move into uh, the steadiness of the relationship as, as, it, as it moves along. Now, honeymoons used to be, you know, <laughs> Jim Gaffigan says it's the undeserved vacation, right? It used to be a lot uh, more visceral uh, thing that took place. I mean, it was about the literal consummation of two lives coming together and becoming one. It was a very serious process, um, and if it didn't go well, then bad things happened. One of the biggest issues when it comes to our culture and its influences on marriage and our relationship and how we relate to people is sometimes... Um, Sometimes we get things backwards, and sometimes we have the honeymoon stage before we have the marital commitment and covenant stage. And, and regardless of how you feel about that or what you think about that, there's just a certain reality that takes place in our physical, emotional, spiritual union with each other that impacts how we experience marriage when we get things out of whack and out of order. This isn't just anecdotal. I mean, this is, this is real stuff 
that I walk through people with more often than I should. And there are things that we carry with us. There's baggage that we hold on to. There's things that have impacted our relationships and our marriages as a result of getting things mixed up and backwards. And here, here, here's what I want to say. While that may be true for you, let me also say this. Is that there is nothing that you have done in your past that will make it impossible for God to give you a fresh start. Because you may not agree with me or may not realize that you've been dealing with the consequences of those decisions moving along. But the flip side of that is you also need to understand that we are not defined by our past, but by the future that we can have by the grace and mercy and love of God. If what you're looking for is a healthy and a happy marriage, don't settle. It's possible. It's, it's what God wants for you and me in our marriage relationship. The issue is, is that we get caught up trying to create it ourselves, and in our own power and in our own ideas. But instead of us trying to create it for ourselves, we just simply need to be reminded that it's God's creation. And if we follow his path for it or his, and his ideas for it, he takes two, they become one flesh, and these powerful river, rivers combine and join together into one life. Like we mentioned before, when two forces combine, sometimes they're turbulent, some things uh, get rough, the undertow can hurt and damage a marriage. Sometimes a tributary gets dammed up earlier along, and so there's one person that needs to be a little bit stronger in that period of time for that relationship. This is the mystery of two becoming one flesh that God has designed. So the question is, what is the trick of getting these two forces together in such a way that they remain one and they are able to weather whatever turbulence or undertow they face in their lives? Well, we're going to be looking at chapter 5 of Ephesians because there the Apostle Paul, who writes most of the New Testament, gives some of the most succinct teaching based on Jesus' teaching of marriage and what it's supposed to look like. And he begins this all with this setup in verse, chapter, verse 21 in chapter 5. And he says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is using this as a transitional statement. He's talking about being filled with the Spirit and what our relationships should look like in the church. And he's saying this is, this is how it's supposed to pour over into our more nuanced and central relationships when it comes to the family unit. Is that our relationships as husband and wife are supposed to be born out of the reverence we have for the self-sacrifice of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Submission is a hard thing to do. And so we've got to have the right motivation. It's about yielding our own ideas and desires to someone else's voluntarily. And here's the thing, if you hear nothing else, that you need to understand about marriage. is marriage is not for you. Marriage is for us. Marriage is not for me. Marriage is for me and my wife. It's not just for her. It's about me and my wife. Marriage is for us, not for me. So this is, this, this is the way he sets the stage, and then he goes in and talks about wives. Don't worry, husbands. We're getting to you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
Um, I just want to take an aside for just a second to mention that I am self-aware. And I recognize that this text and this passage may not be the most popular thing to read in our current cultural climate. And so I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that, wow, that, that, that sounds a little rough. What's this, you know, we back medieval times? Like, what, what's going on here as we talk about this idea of submission and what this looks like? But I think one of the things that's really important to understand about the text and what Paul says here is what this actually looks like. Because most of the time when we think of submission, I think we think of power and control. And so we ask the question, well, who gets to make the rules and establish the power and control over the relationship? Because that's typically, as we look throughout history, how this relationship, husband and wife relationship, has been handled. And I'm here to tell you that's not what Paul is talking about at all. One of the issues that we have with submission is because we have messed up God's design for marriage and what that is supposed to look like. And Paul explains what he means by using the husband and wife picture as an analogy for how we as a church are supposed to relate to Jesus. So you start to think about as a church and as a Christian how you relate to who Jesus is and what he's done for you, his sacrifice, his grace, and his mercy, and his love. And the reason that we relate to God and have the relationship with Jesus that we do is because we desire that because of what he's done for us. It's because we want to be with God. We want to walk alongside of Jesus because of how he's treated us and how, and how it impacts our lives and what, what causes that to happen. And one of the problems that we have with submission is because we end up in relationships and with people that we don't respect. And that we don't want to submit to because the type of person that they are and how they live their life. And this is why it's so important for the foundation not to be built on me, not to be built on my wife or this other person, but for that foundation to be built on the fact that God is one. And the strength of this relationship and the strength of this marriage is going to be built on that truth and that foundation and not on me or her. God has designed all of us to fit together in an orderly way in a way that makes sense, in a way that helps each other out, in a way that creates indispensable companionship. When God creates Eve, that's what, that's what he says. This is what she's going to accomplish with her existence. That's a scenario in which we can get behind. But let's be honest. We, we, can, we can say, ideally, a husband should be the leader of the home, and not because God is a chauvinist, and not because wives don't have the ability. But the problem that we have with that is a lot of us stink at it. A lot of us husbands are willing to kind of shirk that responsibility. And, and pass that off. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the text we're talking about our husbands are. And I'm already getting into it with you guys. Sorry about that. Some of you stink at it, and your wives are much better at it. But it's also why your family isn't as strong as it could be. Paul is encouraging wives to be able to respect and support their husband because of the type of person and man that they are in Christ. If your husband isn't there quite yet, and he may not be, don't immediately rob him of the responsibility that God has given him, but help him. 
Submission isn't about inferiority. It's not about giving him power and control over the relationship. It's about humility, and it's about looking for ways to serve together in mutual submission. This is the foundation that Paul starts with. All throughout the Bible, we see God using our human relationships as a teaching tool to help us understand our relationship to him. And we talked about wives loving their husbands and respecting them and submitting to them. It's in the terms of how we relate and respect and love God in our lives. Think about the way in which our lives are meant to reflect God in our communities, in the place people's lives are changed as a result of that. And that's how we're called to live out that relationship in our marriages. Wives are compared to the church. Wives aren't taught to be chained in the kitchen or forever doing laundry. There's absolutely nothing wrong with your wife being the primary breadwinner. You're like, get over yourself, fellas, if that's, if that's the case in the house. There's nothing about Scripture that says wives are supposed to stay at home and be with the kids. If that's the way that things are set up in your house, that's perfectly fine. But that's, that's not what's being taught here. We're talking about mutual submission and respect and love in how we treat and interact with each other. Here's what submission doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you agree on everything. It doesn't mean you don't have independent thought. It doesn't mean you put your husband's will before God's. It doesn't mean that you get your spiritual strength through your spouse. It also doesn't mean that you live in fear. What it is about is being an indispensable physical, emotional, and spiritual companion. And the feeling is supposed to be mutual. And that's how God designed us to interact as husband and wife. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So husbands, just as wives are called to love us as the church loves Jesus, we are called to love our wives like Christ loves the church. And if we thought submission was a tall order for our wives, man, we, we, don't, we don't escape that responsibility. We're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. God came to earth in human form as Jesus. He gave up the splendors of heaven, the ability to live without physical pain, and many of the perks that simply come with being God. Why? For the church. He loved us so much that he eventually gave his life to connect us with his love. Husbands, you're called to die first. The self-sacrificial love that God calls us to, man, that's, that's supposed to be you. Not sitting in your recliner asking your kid to grab you another beer. See, the problem is, and the reason we have an issue with this setup of wives submitting to your husbands, husbands leading your church, is that so often, husbands, we sacrifice the wrong things. That will say things like, well, the reason why I need to work so much and make so much money is, you know, for our family. The reason I need to do this is because I'm doing this for our family. No, what your family actually needs is you. They don't need your money. They don't need your success and your identity to be rolled up in your hobbies and your job and that kind of thing. The problem is you're sacrificing your kids and your wife. What they actually need is you. That's the self-sacrificial love that he's called us 
as husbands to live into. We're called to step up, to be leaders in our home, to love our wives sacrificially. Being the head of your home is about laying down your life for your wife, making sure she knows that you love her not because of what happens or doesn't happen in the bedroom, but because you're committed to her. Don't let another thing, work, hobbies, whatever it may be, don't let another person slip in between that. Not a coworker, not a swimsuit calendar in the man cave, not a secret video on your phone or on your computer that you think she doesn't know about, but she knows. She's certainly feeling the effect of it. You've got to lay it all down and make her your number one because God is your number one. So here's what this looks like. This is the relationship and this is the strength that God wants out of an extraordinary marriage relationship is that God is at the top and is that we as individual husbands and wives move closer to him and accelerate our faith journeys to him. Not only do we strengthen our relationship with him, but we strengthen them with each other because we're all getting closer to the same place we're supposed to be, the same foundation that we're called to. Listen up. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. And that is what everything is supposed to be based on. And listen, I, I understand that um, some of you are in a situation in which you find yourself, that, man, this sounds great, and this is what I want for my marriage, but you have somebody else who's not necessarily on board. And here's what I want to share with you about that. God has the exact same problem. Jesus has the same issue is that he's given himself up, not just for us who are in this room and for service, but he's given himself up for the world. And not everybody has figured that out yet. So not everybody has come into the bride of Christ yet. And so Jesus is right there along with you. And yet what Jesus does is he continues to live out his faith, his trust in who God is. He still chooses to live out grace and mercy and love, even for people who aren't there yet. And so you have an opportunity to simply be who God has called you to be in that relationship. And it's not your responsibility to save your husband. It's not your responsibility to save your wife. But as God is sustaining your salvation in you, and as you're sharing the love that he's called you to, over time, that makes a difference, and it makes a change. Our submission to each other begins with our submission to him. Marriage is for us, not for me. And when we realize that, and we live that out, we move from ordinary to extraordinary. Here's how Paul concludes this teaching on marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. One of the biggest issues with this mutual submission and respect is the fact that we hold on to things physically, emotionally, and spiritually when it comes to our marriages and our relationships being one with each other that we haven't shared with the other person. 
One of the biggest ways we don't submit to each other and the ways that we don't respect each other is we don't talk. And we will treat the other person in our marriage based on the things that we feel like they should know that we've never discussed with them. And we allow those problems to persist. We allow them to continue in our life. And one of the best things that we can do to actually treat the other person the way that God does with us is to talk about it and to deal with those issues. Because there are some things this morning that I've said that you've either disagreed with or it's been like a punch in the stomach or a slap in the face. I mean, some of it is for me. Um, it's a tough subject when we talk about our relationships and some of the more foundational relationships when it comes to our families and our lives and our society and our culture and the world and how God has designed us to be and relate to each other. But what you need to do is whatever that thing that's going on that's keeping you from being one, whatever that turbulence that's happening underneath the surface that you're putting on a good face for but you know is happening in your life, you need to deal with it. And some of that is today at lunch after church is you need to bring that thing up that you haven't been bringing up. It's like, well, for the last couple of weeks, you know, there's this thing I've been thinking and I'm not sure how to take, you know, but Rob made me say this. I mean, blame me. Some of you need to sit down with an older couple and say, look, this is the thing that we're dealing with in our life, in our relationship, or a godly person that you respect, and, and we need you to speak into this. You need to release some of your pride because of your mutual submission and respect for your spouse. Some of you need to go to counseling, and you need to go to for years. And I'm just going to say this once, um, but if your spouse has ever asked you to go to counseling and you said no, shame on you. I mean, we celebrate saying yes at the proposal. But man, it's so much more important than saying yes to the things that keep us strong in our relationships, in our respect and submission for each other. Um, there are three Christian counseling agencies in the area that as a church we've vetted and looked into. And so I, I just want to put this up here as a resource. And if you don't have time to write this down or remember it or anything like that, send me a message at any point. I will get together with you. We'll set up a pastoral counseling appointment. And then I will say, all right, now it's time to go do the work of counseling so that you can move from this area of being in a turbulent area and being two still to becoming one. When we identify the problem areas that we have with our mutual submission and respect and love for each other and live out our marriage in the way that our creator designed it to be, we can move from ordinary to extraordinary. And we can change from being a river of two to becoming a powerful river of one by building our marriage on the love of God. Let me pray for us. God, I know uh, right now that this, this topic... Um, in some ways can be very uncomfortable based on our personal experience, based on the current relationship that we're in, based on a relationship that we've had in the past that we're still holding on to, that, that you're ready and willing through your grace and mercy and love to release us from, uh, memories that, that, we've been, uh, that we've been holding on to that have kept us from being fully uh, submissive and respectful to our spouse. And God, we ask that through your grace and your mercy, the power of your Holy Spirit in us to bring us to peace and understanding in how we need to deal with whatever is keeping us from being one with our husband or our wife. God, give us the strength and the wisdom to have the conversations that we need to have to deal with 
how we have kept ourselves from glowing closer to you together. And God, give us the hope that we need to trust in you if our marriage is in a less than ideal situation, that if we honor you, that you will work in ways that we do not understand. That, that even if our marriage never turns out to be the way that we think of it idealistically, that there's still a way that maybe not even this side of heaven that we can see how you've, you've worked in extraordinary ways through it. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.